about my week last week with a trip to Anchorage. And on the way up, I started to think about this sermon, you know. And then the thought rolled through my head that somebody's doing this every week, week after week. That's a lot of work. Put a message together for you guys to hear. And then I realized that I'm just preaching. I don't even have to deal with any of you people. <laughs> or you're a mess. You know, and I, th- I think that's probably the brunt of the work of being a pastor. So uh, with that being said, uh, I want to give you a, a date that, that's coming up quickly. Uh, October 11th. You should mark your calendars. That day uh, is a day that probably goes by fairly often without anybody giving it much attention. It's Pastor's Appreciation Day. And I think that in the middle of uh, this year, it would be a fantastic year for us to bless the socks off of our pastors. They're leading us through unprecedented things, pandemics, trying to meet together, you know? October 11th, let's do it. Uh, So just a follow-up from last week, I wanted to see if anybody saw any Supernatural signs, wonders. Actually, just wondering if you were paying attention last week, because that's not what I was talking about. I was talking about sharing the gospel. I was trying to get you guys uh, sharing the gospel, motivated to share the word. It's, it's on the tip of your tongue, the name of Jesus, remember? Today is going to be a little bit different. I want to encourage you in a different way to be kingdom-minded in all that you do. To be kingdom-minded in all that you do. Paul, when he writes to the Thessalonians, has a major topic and theme that he addresses in the letter. Anybody know what that is? It's the day of the Lord. When, uh, when I was in high school, I actually uh, I drove a, uh, my first vehicle was a, uh, a 1987 Chevy Silverado. It was this big, white, boxy truck, short bed, red interior, big crack down the dashboard, and uh, it started when it wanted to. And if I hit a bump in the road, it would, uh, the radio would go out. And then, you know, you could find me trying to hit the second bump by swerving into the second to turn the radio back on, you know. And then I figured out that if I hit the dashboard hard enough, the radio would come back on that way. And then one time I hit the dashboard, the radio came back on and my windshield wipers went off and I said, that's not good. And it was in that vehicle that I got my first speeding ticket. And I was terrified, not of the cop, but of my dad. And so I went home and I hid the ticket. And every day I wake up, oh, I, I got a ticket. I got to go to court on this day. And I just tried to bury it and make it go away. Turns out the day still came. It didn't go away. And on the day that I had to go to court, I woke up and I told my dad, hey, I got to go to court today. Can you come with me? I don't have any way to pay this ticket. Can, I need you. And he calls work and takes off. And then we get there and figure out that his check isn't any good and he's got to go to the bank and I'm standing there trembling before the judge. You're guilty, you know, pay the ticket. 
the day just wouldn't go away. It kept coming. So as we look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, I want you to realize that, that Paul writes to these people, and in every chapter, he references the coming of the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 1. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brother, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for the day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the light or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober. Having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you are doing. Paul uses a phrase, the day of the Lord. But it's not the first time that this phrase is used in Scripture. It's actually used quite a few times in the Old Testament. Isaiah, in chapter 13, is the first to use it, and he uses it in the context of the Babylonian Empire. Israel is sitting in their homeland, and they're looking out at Babylon, and they're saying, look at all those wicked people over there. And Isaiah prophesies that the coming day of the Lord will pass, on that nation. And what's interesting about that is the timing. See, Israel has yet to go into the Babylonian exile, and he prophesies their judgment. Jeremiah prophesies it over the nation of Egypt. And then Joel and Amos prophesy it over a different nation. Anybody have a guess as to what nation that is? Israel, God's chosen people, God's chosen nation is going to experience the day of the Lord. So for the most part, when the Old Testament refers to the day of the Lord, they mean specifically God is going to bring judgment against a nation. And then Malachi uses the phrase, and he offers a subtle hint a nuance, a little bit of a new idea. Malachi chapter four, five and six. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. The Old Testament ends with using this phrase. And then Luke writing, recording, his narrative of the gospel actually picks up this phrase. 
Zechariah is standing in the temple performing his priestly duty. And the angel of the Lord comes and tells, tells Zechariah, you're going to have a son and his name will be John. And then he tells Zechariah what John's ministry will be. Luke chapter one, verse 16 and 17. And he, John, will turn many of the children of, of Israel to the Lord their God and he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the people, for the Lord, a people prepared. Luke writes in a way to clarify what Malachi was talking about. Did you pick it up? He used some of the same terminology. To turn hearts. Turn. And you know from the story of scripture that John the Baptist's ministry was to usher in the coming of Jesus Christ and his ministry, his earthly ministry. So what does Jesus say about his ministry? Well, we're in luck. Scripture records it for us. Matthew chapter four, 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Mark 1, 14, 15. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Malachi, turn. The angel of the Lord proclaiming it over John, turn. Jesus, repent and believe in the gospel, turn. Repent means to turn. So the Old Testament uses the day of the Lord in the context of, I'm coming to judge a nation. But when I say that right now, in the context of where we're living, you automatically jump to Revelation. The second coming of Christ. Malachi and Luke offer a different way of thinking about it. A revelation about the day of the Lord. You see, what Jesus' ministry was is to bring about a new kingdom. This is the establishment of a new kingdom. Jesus starts out many of his parables saying, the kingdom of God is like. The gospels record this phrase, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, 300 times. That must have been a big deal. Jesus is constantly saying, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. Jesus comes on the scene and he says, there's a new kingdom coming and it's not of this world. It contrasts greatly between the kingdoms of the Old Testament and the New Testament. So what's the kingdom of God like? It's a treasure hidden in a field worth 
everything we have. It's a pearl. It's a mustard seed and a tree that grows into something far greater than you could ever imagine. This seed is going to turn into what? So today I want to share with you three characteristics of God's kingdom. God's kingdom that's set apart like nothing else. No other kingdom looks like this kingdom. The first characteristic is God's kingdom is eternal. God's kingdom is eternal. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on the immortal, immortality. The perishable must put on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality. Then shall come the pat, to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory throughout, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, steadfast, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. The Thessalonians are suffering massive persecution because of their beliefs. And they write to Paul and they say, I think I understand what you mean by this, this kingdom that we're supposed to be a part of, but we're all dying. And Paul responds in a way that I don't think I could respond to comfort someone in mourning. He says, don't worry, you'll meet them in the sky. I don't recommend saying that at a funeral. The death has lost its sting because we now grip Jesus' leg on the cross. Salvation is ours. I think a lot of people think about the way that they wouldn't want to die, right? Like, man, the worst way to die would be if I was buried alive. Well, no, 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 no. The worst way is to be burned. I think drowning would be worse. I haven't publicly said this in a whole lot of places because uh, I'm not sure it's a popular statement, but I... I would rather think about the way I would prefer to die. I prefer to go out witnessing about God. That's where we get the term martyr from, right? The Greek word for martyr means witness. You are martyred for your faith. Can't think of a better way to go. The kingdom of God is always steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the Lord. When you make an investment in this, it goes into eternity to last forever because you are and because his kingdom is eternal. 
You are imperishable when you trust in Jesus. The second one, the kingdom of God is divisive. Some of you just woke up. Did he just say the kingdom of God is divisive? We have this idea of, of divisiveness. This, this is a person that I don't want anything to do with, right? Please get out of my office. I can't, I don't want to have this conversation. You're, you're causing a problem. Let me define divisiveness for you. Divisive, divisive means tending to cause disagreement or hostility between people. I think that you can accurately describe Jesus' ministry as being divisive. Just read the gospel. He shows up and he causes a problem for a lot of people. But you don't have to be mad at me. Let's just read God's word. Luke 12, 49. Jesus says, I came to cast fire on the earth. And would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No. I tell you, but rather division. For from now on in one house there will be five divided, three against two, and two against three. There will be divided father against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, and so on. See, a lot of Christians think that God came to make the world a better place, that he has a plan for me, and I'm supposed to be a, a rock star or a famous person or whatever. Life's supposed to be easy. That's not what he promised. What he says is, I came to make this place new, and in order to make it new, you have to get rid of some things. See, the problem is that God divides. God has been dividing since Genesis chapter 1. He speaks creation into existence, and he says, let there be light, and then he divides the darkness from it. Day two, the waters. Day three, the earth and the waters. Day four, the sun and the moon are divided. They're separated. The problem isn't that God divides. It's that we divide. We determine the good and evil. That's the problem with us. But when he divides, it's holy. So the New Testament concept of this is the sheep and the goats. The weeds and the wheat. There's going to come a day when he divides us completely. Another way that you could say that the kingdom of God is divisive is to say that it's exclusive. Characteristic number three. The kingdom of God is near. And say, look around. Sin, death, disease, there's all these problems. Everybody's got a problem. It's inescapable. Paul starts out with the verse that we read, chapter 5. He says, listen, guys, 
I don't need to tell you when the day of the Lord is coming. I don't need to write that to you. Because you're already part of his kingdom. For those of you who trust in Christ, you are existing within his kingdom. And then he goes on, Paul writing, you are not of the darkness, but of the light. You are not of the night, but you are of the day. Don't be drunk and unaware that Jesus is going to come. Be sober-minded. So I imagine it going down something like this. For Christians, Jesus shows up. The day of the Lord has arrived, and we say... What took so long? I've been waiting a little while for you to get here. Is it time to go home? I'm ready. But for everyone else, drinking and marrying and having a jolly old time, that day will be very disruptive. Repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. The father reaches down through his son on the cross and now he ministers to you through the Holy Spirit that he's made a way for you. He's in pursuit of you and that his kingdom is here. There's a guy that I, I, went, to, I went to college with and uh, I hesitate to call him a genius but compared to me, yeah, <clears throat> I've, I've sh- tried to share the gospel with him because he's, he's antagonistic against Christians, you know, and I think, you know what, you're the perfect guy for the Lord to get and turn you on your head and then become this, the, the next Paul, you know, like, let's, let's go. I want to get that guy and then him produce fruit for the kingdom. And he has, he has two responses. He says, Matt, I, I don't know if you know this, but I, I, something about one denomination had, like, has this Bible contest, and he won the Bible contest. And so he's, he's all read up on the Bible, you know, and he says stuff like, uh, Jesus, I, I love this Jesus guy. I love his teachings. He's, I, you know, love and peace and all, all that. And he must have not read tw- Luke 12, right? Uh, <clears throat> He says, the Old Testament God, that, that, that's the God I can't get behind. That, that, and they're definitely not the same. Jesus and, and the Father are not the same. And to that, I, I, I can clearly say, you're just wrong in that statement. I'm sorry, you, you need to go back and read it again. I'll, I'll help you. I'd love to do it with you to show you how you're wrong and that Jesus and the Father are one. And then he has a second remark. He says, the American Christians that I see don't really line up with Jesus. And that argument, I, I, I don't know that I can fully say that I can defend that, you know? You, you can find someone in the American church that is a proponent of X, Y, Z whatever you want to call it, you know? Whatever you want to think. Just, just imagine for a minute, you know? You, you know. 
I have a hard time defending that, right? Because I have this, have this idea, what, what if, what if we were all united in this kingdom? What would happen? How would the world be changed? But here's the thing. The Bible starts out with the Garden of Eden. And then they leave, right? And the next story is Cain killing his brother. Cain receives the curse. And the first thing that he does is he goes off away further from God and he builds a city. And in that day, it would have been called a kingdom. And then his descendants build a kingdom and his descendants build a kingdom and then his descendants build Babel. And you know what happened to Babel, right? The day of the Lord came against Babel and says, no, you won't do that. And then Babel becomes Babylon, which we already talked about. And then Assyria and Greece and Medo-Persia and kingdom after kingdom, right? And then, and then Rome, Rome's a New Testament one, right? And then the barbarians and then the Vikings and then, and then England and then Germany and Russia and all the, and here we are, we're still building kingdoms left and right, human kingdoms, worldly kingdoms, let's build them. Why? Daniel chapter two. Daniel receives a vision to interpret the king's dream. And in the king's dream, he sees a statue made of four metals and the last metal is divided. And Daniel comes to King Nebuchadnezzar and he says, you are the head of the statue and after you will come another kingdom and another kingdom and another kingdom. And then a rock is cut from a mountain by no human hand. And that rock is thrown down to the earth. And that rock becomes a mountain of its own. And then it spreads throughout all the world. And then you skip to Revelation. Revelation chapter six says that the sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up and every mountain and island was, re was removed from its place. If you do a little bit of digging to figure out what, what he means there, is mountain means kings and you can't have a king without a kingdom. What he's saying there is that all of the kingdoms over the face of the earth are demolished. They're like chaff. They become nothing. What my friend needs to see, what the world needs to see, is a priesthood of believers who proclaim pretty ridiculous things. I'm actually not going to die because I already have. They need to see a priesthood, a community of people that is completely divided from the world, set apart. 
They need us to show them that the kingdom has drawn near. They need us to show them the way, the truth, and the life. So my question to you is, what kingdom do you represent? Don't just ease by this. Really ask yourself. Maybe ask somebody who isn't a believer that you're friends with, hey, what, what do you think I represent? See, Jesus is our example. He came on the scene and he said some ridiculous things in the time. He says, I'm the son of God. I can take away your sins. And me and the father are one. And that's what got him killed. Certainly you can't be those things. But Jesus has done more than invite you into a relationship with him. He's invited you into citizenship of a new kingdom. A kingdom that is unlike any other kingdom on the face of this earth. The world is watching. They're waiting on us. But we're not waiting on a kingdom to arrive. It's already here. It lives inside of you. You are a representative of that kingdom. And God is giving us the opportunity to spread it. For us to partner with him. To carry out his mission. You cannot proclaim the gospel without talking about a new kingdom. He teaches it to you when he teaches you how to pray. So would you guys stand with me? Would you guys proclaim this new kingdom with me by reciting the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.